Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Eric Clement. Eric, how's it going, man? How's it going, Yas? Nice to see you. Thanks for the invite. No, most definitely. I'm looking forward to this one. Um, you know, just across the pond and across the water, just to see what different insights you picked up along the way as well. But Eric, before we get into that, and maybe a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously you can tell from the accent. So um, I was uh, born in in London, uh, North London, uh, to be exact. Came over here um, when I was around 25 uh, years old, um, across the pond, as you said, to New York, um, got kind of a working visa, really just to experience uh, the US, but also to get my feet a little bit wet just with coaching, you know, um, I'd, I didn't have a lot of experience, um, wasn't on the grass a lot, right? And um, an old mentor of mine, actually, that I know that you've had on the podcast before, Chris Ramsey, um, had had mentioned, look, man, like if you want to get good at this, you you need your time on on the grass. Doesn't matter who it is. Do you know what I mean? Doesn't matter what level. You need to just be there. You need to like be with the kids. You need to l- learn how to do it, you know, find your own way. So came out for a summer and, you know, it was a great experience. Um, and they actually offered to have me stay on so it was only meant to be it was like a six week you know summer camps and things like that um so coaching kids from you know mini camp soccer um really young ages to to you know much older older um ages as well so really kind of get my hours in but then they offered me you know to stay on to extend my visa for another three months to work out in the in in the fall in the autumn right so that's their seasons kind of work in up in the northeast uh, spring season and a and a fall season, right? So basically to stay out till November. So I absolutely love that um, great opportunity where I was working more with teams, but the way this coaching company was structured was basically I was out on the grass from like, you know, four till nine most days, Monday through Friday, you know? So it was like my first full-time coaching gig, you know? Um, and you, you know, it's like now in the academies back home, um, unless you're a full-time coach, right? At Cat One Academy, you don't have a full-time job, right? And that was kind of my issue um, originally. So um, it was great. It was just a great experience. Ended up kind of um, staying out there for a little bit, bobbing around a little bit, ended up in Southeast Florida. So it was like near near the Miami area, coaching at a couple of clubs. During that time, kind of, you know, fast forwarded six, seven years, I was kind of doing my licenses over here, uh, my coaching licenses, building up contacts um, and yeah, worked out Southeast Miami and then ended up here just pre-pandemic in 2019. So I'm in Tampa, Florida now, 
um, and I work at a club called Tampa Bay United. Um, my official role is director of coaching education. So um, I kind of help run the coaching education initiatives, um, but also player education initiatives as well. So, um, so yeah, that's a lot. And uh, yeah, feel free to jump in whatever you want. Uh, definitely. There's a few different directions or mine's going straight away. I think in the first one I'm going to kind of start with is obviously, you know, just kind of picking up on the conversation we were just having off air as well around the differences between obviously the landscape of, of, of football in particular over there and and what it is over here from your experiences. But just, just tell us obviously a little bit how, how it's structured and you know, what the, what the bigger, the biggest challenges are within that. Yeah. So obviously, you know, just comparing it and it was a big, um, it was a shock to the system a little bit when I first came out, right. Because I'd been used to, and I'd played in just the U. I'd never played in an academy in England. Do you know what I mean? I'd only played grassroots football um, growing up. So it was like, you know, two training sessions a week. Um, you know, my parents could afford that. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I come from a humble, humble background, you know. Um, but, you know, most of my football, learning of football was done in an unstructured environment, right? Where I would just go summer holidays, you know, uh, Friday nights during the summer just to go to the park. Man, there was a park behind my house and we'd just go, we'd put jackets down and we'd just be playing, right? Um, and even like the coaches I had, you know what I mean? I probably knew more about football than them. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like just a parent coach. I was never really coached, I don't think. Do you know what I mean? I can't really remember people telling me, you know, how to dribble, how to strike a ball. Obviously they put the cones down and stuff, but there was much less involvement came over here and it's almost an uber structured environment, right? Where, um, you know, you have parent coaches, at, like we have a rec level, which is probably your entry level, what you might call grassroots. And then we have what you call a travel team system. So the travel team system is now when you're getting a little bit more serious about the sport, you get into basically teams, right? Where um, depending on the level of that, that travel team, you maybe travel locally within, um, you know, 30 minute, 40 minute radius of your house to now the highest level of competitive soccer in the US. Um, you know, we have our MLS Next program, which is obviously it, it consists of MLS pro academies, but also other non-MLS academies as well. So pay to play clubs and then everything else below that is basically pay to play uh, generally, right? Uh, apart from your academy um, here and there, right? So from that, it that structure is obviously, um, it's different to back home. But um, yeah, so, you know, it was, it was, it was definitely a shock to the system. And, you know, I, you know, I got into this, obviously, because I was, I was passionate about teaching, uh, and also the game, do you know what I mean? So um, slowly I had to kind of like make my way into a more, I guess, you'd call it a, a cleaner environment almost, right? Because there's people who who have money generally mm. um, that, could, that can pay to play the sport. Do you know what I mean? There are scholarship programs that are available um, at a lot of the clubs, but do you know what I mean? Um, at some of your more modest sports um, in, in, you know, in the country, maybe uh, American football, basketball, perhaps there's more of a possibility for, for people of all, socioeconomic backgrounds to be able to to be able to pay and play why why do you think that is and there's a couple of things that kind of really you know creep into my mind as, as i'm asking that question you know is it is it 
just because it is there's a lack of environments obviously one of the biggest things that we have in england is that we've got so many different environments that you can go and play right you talk there about you know just being able to even go out on the street and play obviously that's not as common as it was once was um how old are you by the way um 36 okay so it's a similar age to myself in that when we were younger we could literally just go out and play on the streets and and, and that would just be seen that would just be deemed you know normal um absolutely less it's less normal now less common now in the sense that if it's not a grass, if it's not like a power league or something like that, you're probably not doing it, right? Yeah, exactly. Very rare, and, and especially now because the the pricing of all these things and the cost that come with obviously booking things like power league and, and venues and such, that mm. it just makes it even more challenging. But point being that we have got so many different environments here where we can do it's that. an infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you can literally go down the road and it's probably around the corners seven teams at one venue if you like. Exactly. Is it is it fewer and far between there? Is that is that why it's, is is it, I guess a bit more of a, a challenge and it is yeah play and play model. It's a good it's a good question. Um, I feel, you know, soccer is still a very young sport in this country. I would say, obviously, you know, especially now with the MLS becoming more and more, um, you know, um, you know, a much better product, uh, you know, on and off the pitch. Um, it's, it, you know, basically, you know, soccer is not right now the preeminent sport in, in the US, right? There are other sports ahead of it, right? You know, I've already mentioned, you know, um, you know, basketball, um, American football, but also baseball, do you know what I mean? There's lacrosse, there's, there's a lot of other sports. So I, I feel there were more spaces, at least when I first came to the country and from what I, you know, know of, there were more spaces that were, you know, like, basketball court kind of areas you know what I mean where um perhaps it wasn't quite set up for just pick up soccer but also from a cultural standpoint that's what I was alluding to in the first you know part of my discussion is it was more of an environment where coaches or you know coach you know you went to play football to like you know a professional coach would teach you how to play rather than you just playing do you know what I mean and I think that's more from a cultural standpoint right as you said when I was young, we would just go out and we'd just play, man, because we watched it on TV and we want to relive um, what we were doing out on the on the you know on the on on TV. Do you know what I mean? So I feel you know that definitely made it a lot kind of easier. And and as you said, there was a lot more access to to you know playing and stuff like that. So um, so there's that, and then added to that is obviously yeah, just the fact that soccer isn't the preeminent sport right so perhaps you know for example like players that i coach you know some of them maybe don't even watch the game do you know what i mean so i think that's maybe something that is a generalization across the board um but definitely especially in the us we struggle to get players to kind of like watch the game be educated by the game and like really fall in love with the game right um but it's a double-edged sword as you said right because if you're not playing it in your own time and it it's not you know it's not your decision to go and play, mm. um, then perhaps, you know, we'd put in the, you know, the, the, the cart before the horse, do you know what I mean? Or the horse before the cart, do you know what I mean? Whatever, yeah. whatever that statement is, you know. I, I guess, you know, on, on that then, would you say there's a greater emphasis or more reliance on, I think I had to, to best phrase, the ability of the coaches then? Yeah, I mean... So, I, you know, the structure, I think, the structure of anything comes from 
kind of what happened before. Do you know what I mean? So, and, and, you know, a lot of environmental factors, right? Like the reason why there's a lot of open spaces and stuff like that in England was because football's, I think, always been, do you know what I mean? Like the preeminent sport and, um, you know, people have always kind of played out at the parks, but also in the streets. And there's like the indoor um, areas, you know what I mean? Like just to be able to play. Um, over here, I, I feel as if also there was a big British, um, you know, the, the, like a lot of coaches, you know, when I first came out here were, were British, right? Um, and so, as you said, because it's a more of a middle-class sport, um, perhaps, you know, perhaps the, 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 the parents and the people pushed for, more of a, I guess, a professionalized environment. Do you know what I mean? Um, because I know, you know, even now, um, you know, like my cousin's son is playing and it's a, it's a parent coach. Do you know what I mean? That he just plays and that's normal, right? If you're not in an academy, it's just a parent coach. And you know what I mean? It's someone who kind of played a little bit, um, hasn't really done a license. Perhaps they, you know, that's getting a little bit better, but, you know, um, over here, it, you know, it's, it's a little bit more, like, because there's more money in it, they expect that, you know, you're, you're paying thousands of dollars to be able to play at a club, especially at the higher level. So you're, you're, you're expecting a certain level, right? And, and level right? is, is inverted commas, you know? Yeah, so, no, no, well, that's, that's exactly where my question was going to go. And my mind's going now is that it's quite an interesting because, you know, you're, you're, because you are paying to play, the expectation is that the level is there, but what are you comparing the level to? exactly or, right is so there an element of perception that you like you said you know going back a few years british coaches oh yeah that's where the game came from if you like so that's they know what they're doing if is, is there a, is there a kind of naivety in that in that respect as well yeah yeah i think there definitely is right there used to be a perception you know when i first came i've been here maybe 10 10 10 to 12 years now um, there used to be a perception of, oh, you know, the accent, he must know what he's talking about kind of thing. And I really didn't know what I was talking about back then because I was first getting into coaching. All of my experiences came from, you know, my limited number of hours kind of shadowing coaches or kind of, you know, my limited time on, on, on the pitch, right? So I feel, yeah, like there's, there's a lack of education here uh, from the parents, especially in football in general, right? So I'm talking, you know, the average parent here um, if you're lucky, they've played the sport either at, you know, the school level or the college level, right? Um, but even then, right, we all know that that can almost be a hindrance, right, to a coach trying to, um, you know, trying to develop um, a group of kids. If uh, a parent kind of has played at a certain level, it's not the same, is it? It's not the same as, um, mm. you know, development of 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 players, at, you know, at the youth level. So it, it is. It's an interesting dynamic. Um, and as to just to add it in there, um, this middle to to higher class kind of sport, you you get a lot of parents who are very affluent who hold very highly esteemed positions, you know, within um within your club, right? Who are who are used to people saying yes to their requests right mm. but it's very different right where for example you're trying to develop a sense of a growth mindset and you know a competition at certain levels of the game right when mm. it's appropriate to do so um 15 16 17 right we want to you know we're preparing a lot of our players for college soccer right mm. so for them to be able to do that perhaps 
you know, it's not a conducive environment when the parent is really trying to protect their kid because, you know, it's they've never really had to fight for anything and they've been given everything, right? So um, it's an interesting uh, dynamic. Yeah, so I'm just thinking there, you know, really what you're talking about is there's kind of maybe an element of diversity, diversity um, adversity and, and resilience, right? And them not really having to face that. So, you know, you know, even within the context of your coaching, we do try and I think a lot of us try and create opportunities for that to kind of occur and exist within our practice, within our sessions. I guess it's I guess it's it's, it's somewhat comforting to kind of hear that the problem that we face with parents over here is a is a, is a universal one, right? Um uh, it's, you know, I think football's, you know, is often said, you know, it's a game of opinions and everyone seems to think they're an expert one as well. Uh, so it's it's, an, it's quite an interesting one. So, I mean, what was what are some of the biggest challenges you face? Obviously, you talk there about um, parents having esteemed positions in the organisation, sort of clubs that you might you might work in. But what, I guess what what takes place? So I'm I'm big on you know I had a recent conversation with someone else around this around education of the parents and or the stakeholders and the support networks as a whole, because in my opinion, certainly from my experience, I've never had a situation where I feel like oh, this is just a bad parent. They're actually mm, a bad parent. Exactly. It's more a case of they're just, I don't want to say misinformed, but maybe under-informed or, 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 maybe, mis- or maybe, maybe have misinterpreted or misunderstood what it is that we're going after. And, you know, as you kind of alluded to earlier, you know, when you're, when you're limited in your coaching experiences, you probably often maybe rely and lead, lean on a, maybe a, if you had one back, a background as a player, what you did as a player, what was delivered to you as a player, as, you know, from from a coaching standpoint, um, what depending on what generation you've come through and when you've come through your coaching qualifications and who's maybe delivered and influenced, uh, I guess the insights on those, what coaching may or may not look like in an effective manner versus that of actually that's not coaching because that's that's another that's another debate right now and and it'd be interesting to see what it's like from your perspective as well, you know, working out in the US and even in your role as a, in a director of coaching in that. What does that, you know, what what does effective coaching look like for you in your environment? Because now we're getting, I think my general perception is that, especially in England, we've moved from what was a really focused technical model or technical perception of what coaching could or should look like to now one where it's less technical and more psychosocial, much more environmental. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so you cut off a little bit there at the end, but basically you're asking, um, I know you, you asked about the parental education first, right? So yeah. I, I guess I'll start there. Um, three words I just wrote down um, as, you know, as you were talking there, you know, as like first words that kind of come to my head when I think of what the, you know, what the, I guess the, you know, the, what's missing with regards to, you know, when you're talking to a parent, right. And this has helped, it's helped a lot becoming a father. I know obviously you've got, you've got a child, children or child three. Yeah. So, you know, I've got um, a little, a little guy now he's four. So I understand now, you know, the dynamic of being a parent. Right. And at the end of the day, you you just want the, what's best for them, right? Yeah. And and before I didn't quite understand, right? Because I don't think you do. Um, before you're a parent, it's very difficult to maybe you understand, but you can't resonate. 
Yeah. Um, so becoming a parent, like it's like understanding of, look, whatever this parent is coming to me at, whatever frame that they're coming to me at, you know, um, with this issue, it's coming of a frame of trying to protect their, their kid at the end of the day. Right. So yeah. the element of cohesion, first of all, right. I, it's my job to help them realize that I am on their side. I'm yeah. on the kid's side. Right. Yeah. So anything that I do is never to break down the kid, never to disrespect the kid, never to, you know, make the kid lose his love for the game. Yeah. Um, it's always to build them up, even if sometimes it can be through, um, you know, negative means or do you know what I mean? Uh, challenging them, making things a little bit more difficult for them. Right. So I think cohesion first, like the way that we talk needs to be in a way. I think a lot of coaches get it wrong because, you know, they'll come with you know they'll they'll have a parent come to them with a an issue immediately and there's like the walls up immediately like mm. you know um and and it will be like you know like you know prime example would be like playing time for example right you know you know my kid only played 10 minutes that game you know what i mean this is ridiculous you know what i mean i'm paying this kind of money it's just the typical one right and i think a lot of coaches they'll kind of put their defense mechanisms up and be like hey like you know, they need to compete. They're not playing well enough. This is what they're not doing well. Mm. So it'd be like that headbutt where we're not really trying to cohesively, you know, and I, th and I feel like by asking questions that yeah. can actually be useful. Like what, you know, what characteristics do you want your son or daughter to, to, to build up within this sport? Right. Um, you know, and they're probably going to come up with some things, you know, I want them to work hard. I want them to be committed, whatever. So through that, do you know what I mean? We we slowly begin yeah. to build understanding, I mean, shared understanding. I I agree with you. And I feel, I think I'm, I'm fully on board with what you're saying, but I think that there's a subtlety within it as well that it's it's all well in them, it's all well and good in them being able to maybe identify, list these things, but are they able to characterize and, and determine what they like, what these things actually look like in in, in practice, right? So fantastic. It's you know, great, great I, you can say you're hardworking, yeah, but what what determines whether this person's hardworking? It's and they've got it's a it's a challenge I often throw to coaches as well in saying that what Eric gives us 100% on a Monday night might look very different to Eric's 100% on a Thursday night. It doesn't mean Eric's not still giving me 100%. It's just me having to take that account, you know, that 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 perception of what does 100% look like for Eric on this moment and why was he able to produce it in that way? And it gets getting to know them. And I think going back to the piece about the parent, it's almost getting to them, like the thing I always say to the parents, is, Look, I, I want what you want. <laughs> yeah. If, if, you're, if, if your child is developing, your child's enjoying it, and and all the, and all the other stuff that comes with that, well, it's only going to benefit me. So you know, it's it's a two it's a two way street, right? Um, but it is, I think, and again, uh, the way I like to view it, it's much more about collaborating with the parent rather than dealing with the parent. Um, and I think yeah, collaboration. one of the biggest things that's kind of obviously you know for me, it's really done me well in 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 working with parents in particular is helping them understand what it is that we're trying to do in the environment that we're working in, why we're trying to do it in this way and what we hope to see as a result of that. Um, but also having those, if you like, checkpoints with them to, to an extent um, to ensure that they've got clarity on what's actually taking place, why it's taking place and, and ongoing. And as things develop and change, you know, making sure they still understand because it, it can be very easy, I guess, for them with the best of intentions, it can be very easy for them to kind of kind of come off track and you know, lose sight of what we're going after because it's maybe 
it doesn't look like it's progressing in the way that they would want it to or they would like it to or even even the other side of it and probably the one the most common ones is oh my child's not enjoying it right now they're not going to enjoy everything are they <laughs> and this comes back yeah. to the, the piece at the top right where you talk about you know almost building that resilience and that adversity into what they're doing and understanding that actually yeah there is lots of things that mom and dad can do with that checkbook and make things right but they ain't always going to be able to, to fix everything it's not the it's not the answer Absolutely. to every problem yeah and i think like to like case in point i think that is probably our biggest difficulty um is helping the parents to understand that hard is not bad right and even our coaches i feel as well right um you know all of our coaches have this perception of you know if it's not quite working right and obviously we have a curriculum that we try and use um and we have coaches of varying levels right so perhaps a novice coach who hasn't spent much time on the grass that might be very daunting right um but we want them to fail right we want them to struggle a little bit within our parameters um you know, because if the players aren't quite getting it, we all know, right? If if there's a new exercise, right? Um, some possession activity that you're setting up, um, you know, around a specific uh topic, um, the players probably need two or three times to really get to know the rules and the, you know, everything within the game to mm. like the constraints to be able to figure it out, right? So, you know, I feel that a lot of parents, right, and coaches, I think it's just human nature, um, that you know, we, we want success immediately. Right. And, and, and as you said, success is, I, I don't know, like I, 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 I definitely a generational I thing. Maybe, maybe. Um, I feel as if we're, we're, we're very, and again, this is a generalization because there are those that kind of are, you know, kind of bridge that gap and, 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 and can do better, but you need to be very self-aware of what success looks like right what does success look like success isn't the outcome right but in the success eyes of Google, is, right that's it as well it's it's a very it's a very subjective kind of uh yeah view, i mean because right? one of the, the often com the conversations i often have with parents and it, and it's almost retraining their their perception of their mind if you like to an extent in the sense that we, you know, at the end of the day, we I think we both agree that you know development isn't a linear process, right? It, it goes up, it goes down, but or rather, learning isn't a linear, pro, a linear process, but development can can be. It, it can be a linear process, but actually, what happens in the process of that development isn't always demonstrated in the same way. So it's not always based on what happened technically. It could just be what's happening up here, but that's less obviously uh, measurable than yeah you know, than than what they're doing on the pitch, if you like. And the one thing I always uh, and I challenge parents with is, all right, well outside of using goals scored assists a number of minutes define define development and still to this day i haven't met a parent that can and it's not a bad thing it's just it's just but it's just it's kind of an indication of maybe where they're placing their sights on in terms of what development but do you does think but like. do you think but do you think that coaches can do that too no i, I don't i know a lot of coaches I don't. Exactly right. Yeah. But then, exactly. but then I also think that's a generational thing because I also think that's um, maybe a representation of, and I use this loosely, but where coach education's gone over the last decade or so, and not just in England, I think just across the board, I think we're moving, we have moved away from what was a heavily technical focused model or a perception of what coaching should or could look like 
to one where it's less about what's happening on the pitch and more about what's happening up here for the individual, which I, I understand. And it's got its benefits and its pros and its cons, but fundamentally you still have to be able to do the job at a certain point. So it's, it's less, I, mean, I guess through my own experiences, I've kind of gone, it's interesting. I have these conversations with some people sometimes, and it's, it's like, I've gone from being one end of the spectrum to kind of to the other end of the spectrum, I kind of found myself, you know, somewhere balanced in the middle now where it's actually, well, no, that stuff is important. The environment is important. We need to make sure they're enjoying it. We need to make sure. But actually, what is enjoyment? Enjoyment is not the same as fun for me, right? Um, For me, yeah, we can make it fun, but fun doesn't equal development, in my opinion. It can. It can be, it can be a, I guess, a byproduct of development or it can be vice versa. But fundamentally enjoyment doesn't have to be fun all the time enjoyment could come from the pure fact of actually that shit was hard it went through a tough patch six seven weeks of bad results or whatever it might look like actually through the process of questioning through the process of reflection through the process of self self-reflection as well as you know that support of my peers and my coaches and, and the other people around me i've now understood more on how to get better from that situation to the point where i've actually become better actually looking back i've enjoyed that process so that, that that could be enjoyment in itself right going through the resilience and the heart, the adversity of those challenges but that's that's exactly it yes it's it's the understanding that um you know enjoyment doesn't have to be fun all the time right and it's that understanding of um setting the expectations early with regards to um look i think it's useful like so i do a little bit of performance coaching on the side so i do mental skills training and stuff with 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 players youth athletes but also um some some collegiate and professional players right and and a lot of the time through my conversations and my coaching one of the main things that you know through one of our first conversations is i you know a lot of these players are outcome focused right so they 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 based performance on the outcome, whether they scored, whether they got an assist or whatever it is, right? Um, and that's a very fickle process, right? It's yeah, very, it's, 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 it's no control. Everything. Yeah. There's no control. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. So so as you're saying, um, I think this, this comes from the top down, right? It's, you know, with regards to clubs, if you have a style of play, a blueprint of how you want to play, it's all very good and well, um, you know, developing kind of um, that on paper. But I feel like one of the things that we're trying to do at the club right now is now, okay, you know, you develop whatever your style, your principles, your sub-principles, and then what that looks like with regards to player actions and team actions in the four phases. But then for me, that needs to be matched with video, right? Like what are examples of these behaviors, as you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Um, and and, and, and no, then I'm so glad you, you break it. it down, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think is that even within, I guess, where I don't necessarily work for a team, I'm less kind of, and even to be fair, just in, just in my general passions around coaching, and I'm less I'm less focused around a style of play. Um, I, and I was interested. I was thinking about this just yesterday, and I think to myself, but what do I, would I consider myself a team coach, or a more of an individual coach? And I think I, I think I'm much more leaning towards an individual coach in the sense that just because of the nature of the work I do. And it's largely uh, around coach development and coaching specifically, but it's kind of led me down a path where a lot of my focus is on how do we develop the individuals? Um, so there's less focus on having a style of play. And to be honest with you, I don't really believe there should be a style of play. Um, you know, fundamentally, whatever 
plan A might be. Well, plan A goes out the window as soon as the opposition do X, right? So then you don't have to have plan B and plan C or whatever that might look like. But fundamentally, it comes back to the game principles. If the principles of play are in, are in, in focus, it's just understanding, well, what do those principles look like at any given moment? And it's kind of led me to this path where I've got like three kind of key pillars in my coaching. And it's that the first one is what's well, got to be representative. So the game, it has to be, you know, for me, everything I do, in fact, there's not a single thing I do do outside of maybe just if I was working with you as an individual, that would be unopposed. I don't, I, I just don't. And then people say, oh, well, you, you've got, you know, it's got a place. But for me, in my own opinion, in my own experiences, it's places never at the top of the hierarchy. And in, in actual fact, I'd throw it out there and say that in order for it to be effective and efficient, in my opinion, it's probably the most skillful part of coaching to be able to make your unopposed practice truly effective and efficient in a transferable manner. Um, and I, and I, can, I can give an example of that if, if you like as well. But then in the kind of other two key pillars is I'm a big believer that we all have the answers if we're asked the right questions, right? Um, Agreed. So for me, it's really key for me, the Q&A process. It's not just, no, I want to get to the, the real heart of it. I want you to really probe you and challenge you in your thinking, stretch your thinking around what you're doing, why you're doing it, and when you might need to change what you're doing and why, why you might need to change it. So having a real perception and understanding of what's going on in the moment, what have you considered, what have you not considered? And it can be quite a long-winded process sometimes, but I also have a, you know, a say in that. I say, well, then the more work you do on the front end, the, the, the easier the ride is on the back end of it, right? And then the third kind of pillar that I really focus on is the show and tell. Actually, I can't even tell you how many times I've probably seen, I've probably done it myself in the past, where we, as coaches, we can be very lazy at times in i'm just going to tell you what i want to see and hopefully you're going to do it how often have we done that and we end up having to show them anyway just show them from the beginning give them yeah, an example yeah. from the beginning of what you're looking for and if it's not an example of how it looks in terms of what the process is make it clear on what the outcome is yes you've got yes, a clear exactly. outcome so i don't need to tell you how you're going to do it i don't need to show you de demonstrate specifically how you should do it. Although if that supports your learning and development in that, in that moment, then here's an example of what it could look like. But fundamentally the outcome is what we're, what we're going after is this. So all I need you to focus on Eric is getting that ball to Dan, Dan, Dan on the other side of the box, how you do it, it's up to you, but here's the situation. Let's examine the situation and let you, and you come up with a way to do it. So it has to have that that's show. Piece, whether that's me using a demonstration and this is another challenge for coaches, right? It doesn't always have to be you as the coach demonstrating it. Yes, I do agree. And I do I do see the, the point that people make and say, like, well, it definitely adds credibility. But if you know what you're talking about and you get your message across, that bit very, very quickly falls aside. Absolutely, man. No. And I love the fact that you, um, you've you kind of been able to be self-aware enough to kind of really look at what you believe in right based off of you know everything that you've done within the game like what really resonates with you right that's mm. the that's the tough part in today's day and age is with the wealth of information books youtube this that everywhere right at the top level um you know it can be very easy to just take everything that's given to you right and then you know you don't have a real sense of who you are as a coach right so i feel 
um, you know, when you're taking licenses and stuff like that, there needs to be kind of a filter involved where, you know, you know, when you do something, you almost need a filter for yourself to be like, okay, you know, what, you know, what, what did I really agree with in this and what resonated with me? What, what definitely didn't resonate with me. And now the most important part is the iterative process, right? Like what am I going to change with what I do now based on this information? So I think like we, we want to bring in information, bring in information, more information, more information, podcasts, freaking, mm. then I'm going to jump on a course. Then I'm going to take my license. Do you know what I mean? Like all of this information for coaches when in actual fact, one of the big things that they're not doing is they're not iterating. So they're not, mm. but you know, taking this information and realizing, okay, within my context, within my environment, and based on what I believe in right now, mm. you know, what part of that information is useful for me to be able to use. And then now can I can I create an action plan over the next three months to like, okay, how am I going to use this information? Mm. Show and tell is a perfect example, yeah. right? Of, and, I, and I think yeah. just on that, you know, if, if it's a great point, I think the, the other thing to kind of really just add on there is that there will be things that you can see usefulness in now that might not be relevant to the context you're currently working in. So it's almost actually, can I be effective and uh, I guess curious, curious enough to be able to assess information and say, actually, that's really useful information. But for my context at this present moment, it's something I'm going to have just to park off, if that makes sense. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, you know, that that's an interesting one because, yeah, I think in today's day and age, you know, we want you we want to be able to use information like right now. Do you know what I mean? So like you're learning about video analysis, like video analysis on a lot of these courses, right? That's that's a new one. And, you know, um, you know, individualized, you know, position specific training, right? Um, because that's like the new thing, right? Everyone wants to kind of set piece coaching, all of that. So all the coaches want to use that. But as you're saying, right, um, it's like you want to pick up different skills that you can now be able to use in your in you know in the future do you know what i mean so um i agree and i mean look with coach like coach education so i coach i, I do a bit of coach education as well from us soccer so I, I teach the c licenses and within that it's funny you mentioned obviously never unopposed right you said um you always know the answer um or or you mentioned something like uh you know you're like deep down you know the answer right like to to the to the question right uh, um, is that what you is that what no, you no, not 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 specifically but we know what we're going after we yeah. know what we're going after and I, i'm very reluctant to say yes we know the answer i think the better way to put it is we know an answer yes yes so as you mentioned like the the what rather than the how right it, yeah, like the yeah, like the the outcome. We what we know what. But, we, but, but I think I think is I think is bit I think is deeper than that, Eric. I think it's uh, you know it's this piece that we look at is you've got your your the, you know the what, but you also understand the why behind that what, which then dictates and helps you unpack and I guess explore the how of that situation, right? Um, because if you understand the what and the why and the and the how that is attached to it, you also understand when that how, or Rather, yeah, when not necessarily how the how, but when the how then needs to be different because something else has changed. So, we're talking about context here, right? So, can you give an example yeah. of of yeah? So, 
so okay i'm just thinking about previous experiences so there was a period of time where i was working specifically with goalkeepers um so i did a lot of kind of i don't want to call it research specifically but i did a lot of studying around uh crosses coming in and typical areas where crosses might go based on where the ball's being crossed from um and just start you know i, I i've got this belief as well that you know I, i'm not sure what you think of this or whether it's something you'd agree with but that football is just a game of patterns right um I think, you know, you see it enough times, you're not going to always, there's nothing, no two moments are ever going to be exactly the same, but there's enough of a pattern in there for you to, for you to, I guess, develop an anticipation of what's going to happen next. Um, so as an example of that, if I go back to the crosses, uh, right, if I'm get right in the corner, I'm in the wide areas of, of, of the pitch, if you like, well, typically it's going to be, either stop at the far post or maybe cut back towards the, the second six yard box so that you know that that's just one example now if i know that that's what i'm expecting to happen based on what my experience is telling me then i can better prepare for that but i also now recognize that actually the moment it goes from being right in the wide area to coming maybe just inside the box those angles that those that, that ball that might get released at may change but it's understanding when does one become the other and it's not there's no black and white specifically but do i understand where the gray area may begin and where the gray area might begin to end and and that's what i'm getting and if i've got a good enough understanding of where the gray areas start to kind of insert themselves into the different pictures then hopefully that will give me a better understanding of when my how now needs to change in response to the what and the why so what what you're saying there really um have you heard of bloom's taxonomy I've heard of it. I've been, I've been, yeah. So yeah. basically it's um, used it a lot in like teaching and education, but it's based on like levels of understanding. Right. Mm. So, um, you know, for example, if we are, and a lot of our, like the coaches that, that I work with um, at the club, more novice coaches, you go through this, this process as a coach, right. Where it's kind of, uh, I think they call it Dunning-Kruger, right. Where, you feel as I don't know if this one's done in Kruger, but you feel as if when you first get into coaching, like, and you take like your first license, you feel like you're, you're an expert, you know, every answer to every question. Mm. Right. But as you say, the more you get to know, like you get to know a little bit more, if you go past that point, yeah. it's like, then you just realize, you know, nothing about yeah. football. Right. Because as you say, there's so many gray areas. There's no, there's no one answer mm. to the questions that you're asking. And my players get, constantly annoyed with me because they just want me to tell them what the what the answer to the quiz is right but, but i think this is where the challenge comes though and i think it's a great point to make and, and to highlight that it's okay for them to get frustrated and it, but it only becomes valid to get frustrated when you as a coach in my opinion don't have an answer for them i think what's not good enough and i think this is what we're in danger of as a as a just a collective in the, in the industry of football um in coaching in particular is coaches not having an answer Yes, correct. You know, correct. I, I, I'm not saying you have to have the answer, but you need yeah. to have a way, and it can't. But, that, be... but that's, but that's, yeah, exactly. So you're right in that sense. Um, there's that sweet spot in the middle between that guided discovery, mm. where if you go too far to guided discovery, you know, you know, it, it's like that coach on the sideline that is just saying absolutely nothing, and you know, it's it's just completely laissez-faire, right? Mm. Um, at the halftime team talk, there's no real information given because 
you know, let the game be the teacher. That's like the one that they 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 yeah. rely on, right? Like, yeah, these coaches, right? Because it's it's like you know the kids will figure it out. But no, this is why you're a coach, right? This is why you are you know why you're here is yeah you want to help the players learn and develop but as as you're saying um this and this this is what it goes back to my original point of bloom's taxonomy like it's very easy for like so there's lower levels of understanding mm. and at lowest levels of understanding it would be things like comprehension so you know the meaning of an inside cut for example right mm. so very low base level kind of textbook kind of information yeah. But then the higher levels you go, it goes into things like the ability to synthesize information, right? So now, as you use the goalkeeper analogy, now I know that, you know, usually when, you know, the the this left winger is in the wide area and they beat the defender, you know, uh, on the outside, if they turn a specific way, usually this means that, you know, they, they're going to stand up across towards the back post, right? Mm. Versus they come in for this, uh, you know, um, this this pullback so that yeah. I need to get set on my, like close to my line. Do you know what I mean? So that, that ability to synthesize new, so like, as you said, this the situation is always slightly different. So it's like nuanced information exactly. to be able to now, um, you know, basically build this pattern recognition in your mm. head to be like, do you know what I mean? Like this new information. So basically, there's higher levels of understanding, the higher levels of understanding that we go analysis, synthesis of information, then we get a deeper understanding. hundred percent. So again, it comes back to that piece around, you know, I'm not just coaching you the what, but these are the whys and now you can work out how and how becomes, well, here's, here's a way of doing it. But in your case, Eric might be six foot two and a bit slow off his line. So he might want to pick up a different position as opposed to John, who's, six foot five and wrapping off his line or whatever that looks like right so the, but that's where the subjective piece comes in but first and foremost I've, gi I've I've given you enough context around the outcome that we're going to be dealing with for you to be able to decide on what the process looks like and let me this is a great point as well because i think you mentioned a great point earlier about as coaches we need an answer right which is a hundred percent correct but i feel that depending on the context the player the player only seeks the answer when they're in a high pressure situation so obviously i coach games because i'm in a um in a team environment right mm. so you know case in point the right winger um you know is struggling to receive the ball um in you know in the middle third right um because i don't know right? Like um, the opposition is compact in central areas, right? Struggling to get on the ball, not enough space, not enough time, right? So they're like turning to me like, coach, coach, I can't get the ball. I can't get the ball. What do I do? What do I do? Right? So I feel that in that situation, nothing more than a telling them, okay, when the center back gets his head up, right? And the outside backs wide, pop into this gap, right? Double movement, check away, as if you're going in behind, check into the space and that should give you enough space to be able to receive the ball, right? Which is, an again, an answer, right? That, yeah. that might work. I mean, work to be honest, in, I probably wouldn't even go that, I probably personally wouldn't even go down that route. I'd probably go down the route of, well, what, what's happening? Can you tell me what's happening? No, but this is, this is what I'm saying. This is the question. You're absolutely right. But now, if, so it, it's all about context, right? Because mm. in the middle of a game, let's say like, so this is during the game, right? 
this is during the game where they're, mm. they're physically getting, you know, um, just like, you know, frustrated and, you know, you can see that it's affecting their game, mm. right? As a coach, you, we, you know, unless we bring them off to the side, right? There's a, there's a, for me, like in my situation, I'm, I'm, a, I'm absolutely with you, right? I'd obviously be waiting till half time because I'd almost be like, asking them questions so that now they can figure out the right questions to ask at half time. Like, what are yeah. you struggling with? What are you struggling yeah. with? Like, why yeah, to is be it honest happening? with you, I'm even thinking about it right now. I probably would be somewhere in between. I'll probably be having that conversation, which you're referring to at half time, while the game's going on. I'll pull them aside while it's happening. Because... But, but, that's, but that's the question, right? Because you're right. You're right in the sense that because it is... I agree with you as an educator, like, at the end of the day, that is the best way for them to learn. Is to have mm. that conversation right there and then when it's happening. Yeah. When realistically, when they probably should be having it is during a practice um, where we're working on this type of situation because that's perfect. A hundred percent. But I think I think you know now that I'm thinking about it as you're speaking there, I've you know I always I'm firmly in belief of the you know the the phrase strike it while the iron's hot, but more specifically, um, is thinking about it from a perspective of catch them when the stakes are high. Catch them when the stakes are high, because because yeah, I've got you. <laughs> you need to focus now. You need to. We need but to. Let have me let me ask you this then. I, I agree on. with you, but now it's devil's advocate because you can't stop the game. You can't show them the picture, right? The actual picture. Mm. So obviously, you're just a little bit more limited as to the you know your coaching toolbox as mm. to the information that you use, right? So how would you so use that example of the right winger like what questions yeah. do you ask so using that exact example i mean the first thing i'll be saying right well where are you and where's the where's the opposition that's the probably the first one so they've got big the, the, the pitch geography starting to kind of um i guess make sense to them the second piece is right you're saying you can't get on the ball but is the ball ever coming in your direction because it's all well and me, good me being frustrated about the ball not coming to me. But actually, if the ball's never come in here in the first place, what am I getting frustrated about? Because the person on the ball hasn't even seen me to. All right, brilliant. So if that's, the, if that's uh, I guess, a root cause of, of, of the issue, then, okay, so how do we get the ball to come out here more often then? You know, so then it's just unpacking that with them. And like I said, I go back to what I said earlier. The challenge that I've often been, that's often been thrown at me and, and, I, and I can appreciate and uh, would be thrown at me was, yeah, but isn't this a bit long-winded? Yeah, it is. But guess what? I never have to do it again. Because what they remember now in this conversation, if I can make this conversation impactful enough, three months down the line, if this same thing happens again, all I have to say is, Eric, remember that conversation we had? What were your key takeaways? And if the conversation was impactful enough, I don't even have to continue it from there. So again, doing the work on the front end so the rest of the ride is a bit easier is is kind of how I look at it. And, yeah, I get challenges all the time. So yes, yeah, but you know, you're just spending too much time talking to them. Someone's got to do it. They're going to learn some way. I'd rather them Absolutely. learn now than when the stakes are too high. Absolutely, but that, but that's it as well, right? Is because there's such a a focus on, you know, I think that's the tough part with the science and you know um, all of the information that we've that we've gleaned from the environments that we're trying to create, right? is it's almost too structured in a way like almost the opposite way right of just letting them play meaning you know they're going to learn through experience they're going to you know they're going to make their own mistakes you know 
when you make a coaching point, it needs to be in and out within 30 seconds. Do you know what I mean? There's certain things that we're saying to coaches that, you know, it's a gray area. Do you know what I mean? If, you, if you're describing it, why get in and out 30 seconds? If they don't understand, they obviously need something more impactful that is going to, you know, actually change behavior. At the end of the day, we need something that, that things are only going to change our behavior when we um, there's a stimulus involved that is sometimes perhaps not not um, very positive. Do you know what mm. I mean? Sometimes, mm. it, you know, that, but, you know, but again, that, that's perception, right? Because, you know, the, the positive piece could be. And again, it's, it's, it's a conversation I had recently. Someone, like sometimes one of the questions I always like to, like to ask players and is, you know, can you share with me a time where you think you've been coached well? And can you share with me a time where you think you've received poor coaching? And uh, it's interesting because I asked that question one to see what their perception is, but two to understand actually was it the methodology behind the coaching that might have been poor? Obviously, you don't have the full context, you don't have the full ins and outs, but was it the methodology that was poor or how it was actually delivered? Because how it was delivered could be the issue rather than the method itself. So, you know. Me and you can both go down the route of asking questions to players, but actually if one of us asks very direct and blunt questions and we're not going to get much out of it, so then a, pair, a player might perceive that as, oh, I don't like being asked questions because it puts me under pressure, rather than if they've been in an environment where a question has been asked and they've been allowed to, uh, I guess, openly and honestly answer without fear of judgment or fear of, um, you know, any any sort of negative consequence off the back of it, right? Now all of a sudden you say, well, actually, that players you can, you know, they're probably going to thrive in the environments where they where they're being asked questions, but actually probably will learn more from it because they've been provided with an environment where the question has just been genuinely open. Um, so I, I think it is it's interesting to get perceptions of the players from that perspective as well. Last last part on that I think is just individualizing the type of feedback you're giving to players. Right, there's certain players who don't need that, don't want that. And they just want you, you know, they ask you, well, first of all, there's some that will never ask you a question and they just need to kind of experience and kind of figure it out. Maybe more, you're more kinesthetic learner, right? Um, versus the one that you need, they need your support, maybe from a psychosocial aspect of, they just need to know you're here, that you're there <laughs> well, for them. Do you know what I mean? That's it, right? They need to know that you're here. And I think it's, <sighs> yeah, the one, I mean, the one thing I'm just now thinking about it out loud is just, I just speaking there that I always try and make an effort to kind of really highlight is I don't need you to buy into how I'm coaching, but I need you to understand why I'm doing it. And the why is always to help you get better. And if you get better, then, you know, we, we're, both, we're both winners here. And so I think it's it just coming full circle to the, what you told us at the top is around outlining expectations. And, you know, the point I was going to make earlier, actually, when you mentioned that is, well, you know, have your expectations, but be open enough to understand that actually you may need to change those expectations. And that's okay too, as long as those things have been clarified and agreed upon. Um, so I think that in itself, is, you know, is just managing those expectations throughout the process. And like I said, you know, for me, when I'm working with players in in the environment I work in, or if I'm working with parents and helping them understand what my coaching might look like, it's just really getting them to understand. At times, it might look like this. At times, it might look like this. But here are some key things that I'm going to be going after. And here are some things that I'm going to personally look to try and measure. But actually some of the, and I think this is the key, this is the, the biggest challenge, is some of these things can't objectively be measured, right? So it is just an observation rather than 
this one moment or this exact thing over here. It isn't about 10 goals. It's about, well, have we seen the development? And, you know, when things aren't going well, what, what actually happened in the context of that game? Because it's easy to turn around and say, oh, well, yeah, it's not been enough goals, not been enough shots or whatever. Okay, yeah, but you're playing against Man City. You've got the tightest back four. Now what? Are we going to have the same expectations? Or is it, again, it's just going back to managing those expectations, right? Absolutely. No, absolutely. And I think that's perhaps one of the toughest parts of coaching, right, is not quite... Obviously, at the pro level, you you kind of kind of expect something, right? But I'm a, I'm a Spurs fan, I'll be honest, right? So, um, sorry for some, right? But, um, you know, since, you know, Ange has come in, right? Um, for me, it is like, that's a lesson for a lot of youth coaches with regards to understanding how you want to play, regardless of style or whatever, right? How you want to play. It's a mentality more than patterns, movements. I'm sure there's a lot involved with regards to exactly what he wants to do, but it doesn't matter what 11 are available. You know that he's going to go after the game from a mentality standpoint. So from a player's standpoint, I feel that that sets the tone for how you want to play, right? I feel that, like, I think a lot of players would want to play in that type of environment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I think, because there's a clear vision, right? I think that, but I think the, if you are going to go down that, that way of having one set way of playing, you need to understand what's going to allow it and to and not work, right? So it's, it, it comes back to that how, the how is influenced by the why. Uh, this is what we want to do. This is what we need to make it happen, right? Um, so that's still the what, though. The why, well, why we need this is because we need X, Y, Z. Duh, 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 duh. Okay, so how does that look? Well, actually, when Eric's doing it in comparison to when Yas is doing it, it might look like this, but actually the the, the framework is effectively the same. And this is, again, an, another thing I always come back to. If we're talking about teaching technique as an example, you know, I think one of the things that we have in... Um, or that we that we lack in football in particular, we don't we don't have like a, a universally agreed upon framework, right? Whereas which are, which is I love a lot of other industries and even some sports have, and I think that's where it is so subjective. And but I think there needs to be some objectivity within it as well. So I think it's little things like you know if we're teaching like like the, the principles of the play as an example, the game is based on those. There is no other way to play the game now. That's not to say that they look a certain way, but they are the principles. That That is how it works. So how it will look for you and how it looks for me, so how it looks for Pep, how it looks for Klopp, how it looks for, you know, go back 20 years ago and, you know, whoever else was out there then. Absolutely. All they're doing is presenting the principles of play in the way that they see fit. But it's still the principles in action, if that makes sense. Sure. And I think that's the, the key. Constants, things, right? Those are the constants of the game, right? A hundred percent. And I think that, if we go back to what we were saying earlier about you know the just it, it, my thoughts in terms of where coach education has gone and you know just around the world generally is I think we moved away from the point of how important those principles actually are to the point where people and I'm generalizing here and I'm you know and I say it loosely but I think they can just design a way of playing and it's just how they want to play with no purpose I think you know the the the, the challenge always throughout this coaches when you're thinking about the way that you want to play is whether you're looking at in possession, out possession, whether it's how you want to press, how you want to how you want to move the ball around. If it's in possession, 
it's I want to do this in order to penetrate. Just add that piece on the end. It, it just shifts the whole perception of everything you're doing. Or yeah. on the flip side, out of position, I we want to be able to do this in order to stop the opposition from penetrating. Or you know, however you. But if you just add that little phrase on the end of whatever it is that you're looking at, all of a sudden the picture changes. So it's funny you say that. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a. So the 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 way that the C license works over here is a lot of like it's hybrid, right? So a lot of um you know, there's a, there's a kind of uh, a week um, in person, like kind of in like week five or six, but a lot of it is, um, you know, online um, sessions, right? They need to record their sessions and things like that. Um, but within what you just said there, you know, within the training sessions that they're creating, and this is where it comes back to something you said before, where there's a little bit too much freedom, with regards to exactly how they structure a se session and stuff, even with the methodology, it's changed considerably. Um, and so, the, as you say, like, and when they're trying to develop the objective for their training sessions, it's very, it's not clear enough, right? Um, you know, one of them, for example, you know, we want to um, improve the ability to play a split pass, right? Yeah when like again like there's no context there right with regards to you know as as you said like my feedback a lot of my feedback is okay what's the what first of all so what is the objective right uh, where are you on the field and who are you who are you really focusing on here within your mm. training context but um you know there's certain like pieces of information within the framework that you can use so basically us soccer has a a game idea that they that that is almost like a framework based on the principles of play that we use in this within the middle like the third of the field just mm. so that as you're mentioning we have a starting point with which to discuss the game right yeah with regards to you know um to, yeah. you know for example the there's an objective from the defensive third to the middle third is to advance the ball um to the middle third do you know what i mean right. at the end of the day it doesn't matter who what style you're playing and what exactly that's that should be the objective it, right but that's it exactly that's the right? only way that you're going to win the game right and i, I mean exactly. mind you the one the phrase I always kind of say to co coaches to think about i'll use passing just because you're working on a pass doesn't mean you're working on a pass just because passing taking place just because passing is taking place doesn't mean passing is being developed and what i mean by that specifically you know come back to the three pillars i talked about earlier if it doesn't look like it would in a game, it doesn't mean you have to play a game. And I want people to really understand that is that I'm not saying just go out there and play games because I'm also not a firm believer of that either because I think there is a time and place for that. But you have to ask yourself, well, if it doesn't look like it, like one of the biggest bugbears of mine is Rondos as an example, right? I can't stand them. Don't, I don't. I just can't stand them. They, they, they as as the research even suggests they're ineffective, right? You know where the players are, so you don't have to scan. You know where you, because because all you're focused on is actually just moving the ball from left to right. There's no deliberate or intentional efforts to try and move the ball in a direction that is actually going to penetrate. And and if you go back to your example a few moments ago, play a pass or splits a splits a splits a line. There's no there's no need for that. And then if the defenders in a rondo, as an example, don't have a reference point as to what they're defending and what they're attacking. Well, they're not defending effectively or appropriately in relation to the game either. So what are you really working on there? And I think just little things like that. So, you know, coming back to principles in terms of how, how maybe design and practice, make everything directional, not multi-directional, make everything 
um, transitional so that there's not an element of, all right, Eric's just won the ball off Yas and other practices there, we start again. No, Eric's got to have an outcome because sooner or later, Eric's outcome is going to dictate how he decides to win that ball back or whether exactly. he decides to win that ball back. Fundamentally, is your practice presenting the same variables or as close to as possible that the game would be presenting them? And if they're not, then you're not working on the game, in my opinion. No, no, absolutely. I think definitely Brondo's, um, which are non-directional, right? I mean, you know, I would call a positional Rondo, a positional game, right? Where you're going in a specific direction um, and there's at least an end line or goal involved, right? Um, mm. That That's a little bit different, right? But if it's just the, you know, boxes as maybe some people call them, right? Where mm. it's like two or three in the middle and it's just like, you know, almost circular, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you know, from developing, like maybe there is a, um, a technical and a... Um, is there really? A, a, is there really, though? I don't that's, know. That's, that's, the, that's the question I'm putting out there. You might be getting... It's like, it's like okay. Ball in the wall. It's got a benefit. It's got some returns. The challenge I put... I, I don't have all the... I don't know what the answers are, if I'm being honest. I don't know the answer. But what I do know is, if there's a way for me to move at 30 miles an hour rather than 10, I want to find it. Absolutely. So, and this is probably another rabbit hole, but have you um, read the read a book by Doug Lamov, his his book on coaching? Uh, um, I think I know the one I've actually had coaches something. The coaches. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've, I've had Doug on. I've but, had a few conversations. Okay, but basically, couple, yeah. Delivered a couple show, workshops show right. before as well. Oh, really? Yeah. That's yeah, so yeah. Great because I mean he. Incredible, incredible kind of... Oh, is, it te uh, is, it te is it a teacher's guide to coaching or...? Yeah, 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 that's it, yeah. Coach's guide to teaching, I think, that's yeah. The yeah. Um, that's the one, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, we got there eventually. But basically, within that, he explains the reason behind unopposed work, right? Meaning, at a certain level, um, technical... And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? Um, technical work that is unopposed now becomes imprinted within the subconscious, wherever you want to call it, so that now when we are playing, um, you know, in a in a real, in an environment where there is opposition, less of our working memory needs to be um, given to um, thinking about the technique involved, right? Yeah, but um, the, the, the problem is with that though, Eric, is that that technique is dependent on certain things being present understood okay yeah so right the, because the fundamental unopposed, thing yeah, is yeah. you could strike that ball like let's just say me and you're doing a passing practice back and forth 10 yards apart you're just passing all back and forth one thing's for certain not a single one of your passes or my passes will be identical every time that's a fact right it will be virtually yeah. impossible to recreate the exact same pass again so something's going to be different anyway so what's technique anyway right so if we go on that down that down that spectrum, right, and look at it from that perspective, you've got what I like to think of as universal technique, right? A universal principles of technique and then subjective principles of technique. Universal principles te of technique meaning, okay, if me and you are 10 yards apart and we're in a you know straight line, if you like, facing each other, well, one thing's for certain, unless I hit the ball through the middle, it's not going towards you. It's not gonna happen.
It doesn't matter whether I use my foot, whether I use my elbow, whether I use my knee, whatever part of the body I want to use. Even if I would choose not to use my body parts and blow the ball, unless I blow it in that direction, it's not going to go towards you. That's what, that is a universal principle, right? But, but who am I to tell you how to get it done? As long as it gets done. And why do I care if it does get done? Right. And I use the example all the time with that. Erling Haaland has just been bought for Man City last year. Do you think, I don't know how many goals he scored, 50 odd goals, right? 40, 40 50 mm. goals. Do you think it will make a difference to him or Pep Guardiola if every single one of his goals came off his right kneecap? It will make a damn difference. So why do we care how it's being done as long as it's getting done? Right. Who's to say that that's not a new revolutionary technique that can be utilized and, and, and uh, taken advantage of by that one individual? But then if you come back to that, you know, the, again, the example of, I've just given 10 yards away from each other, me and you passing the ball. Well, the bottom line is this. We can work on that technique all we want, but the moment someone else steps in between us, that technique has gone out the damn window because it's no longer relevant. Hence why I said you know earlier that I think, true, in my opinion unopposed activity done with true benefit is the highest form of technical coaching you can get to because you need to be able to not only teach the technique or help players understand the technique but actually in my opinion the only way it can be done to move 30 miles an hour rather than the 10 is if you can bring the context to it through a visualization show and tell standpoint and without that, in yeah. My but opinion, so what I'm saying, it I agree. I agree with uh, the 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 idea. I just feel that. I also feel that certain players need, like, it's gonna. It will be too much for certain players to uh, of players of a certain level, right? Because I think we're talking. Give me an example. So I feel a player who's a novice player who's been playing maybe for. A, let's say three or four years um, who cannot receive the ball effectively. But what's receiving the ball effectively? <laughs> okay. okay. Like, Sorry, okay. Yeah, no, I there. understand. I understand. Yeah. So, so what, what I'm getting, but even if I use that novice player as an example, well, the only difference between the novice and the expert is the expert seen it enough times where they don't have to physically be shown it because they can go but, off. So, but here's the, here's the chicken and egg question, right? Is how, how did the, like, how did the player learn how to receive the ball? Did they learn to receive the ball under pressure immediately, like from day one? Maybe that's my well, question. Well, this is the thing. So, I mean, I actually, so I'll give you an example. And I've tried this out, and this is why I'm so firmly behind the idea of it. I, I remember doing running a project about, I think, what are we now, 2024? Blimey. Um, this is probably 2017. So, about seven years ago, running this project. And we have kids from, and these kids who've never kicked a ball from age four right up to 10. Never kicked a ball. Straight off the bat, you're doing 1v1s. You're working against someone constantly. Um, and the practice, we did literally the same thing every single week for about six, seven months. And I kid you not, yeah, I was gobsmacked by how quickly I saw the development. And it was literally 1v1 to start with. I, don't, uh, I think because I want to say it was a 90 minute session you did 20 minutes it was just 1v1 but within that every kind of 2-3 minutes it'll go from me versus Eric to me versus John me versus John versus versus someone else versus someone else versus someone else. so you're just rotating constantly on a rotation right 
what why why the rotation well first and foremost you are going to be different to me so i want the players to get comfortable facing different opponents okay the context of the situation might be the same but the challenge within it is different so for some players i come up against i might be quicker than them i could be stronger than them i could be smaller than them i could be taller than them i could be whatever but it gives me a range of different scenarios to work within despite this being the one context That'll be 1v1 for 20 minutes. Rotate the opponents. Then we just develop that and move it into a 2v2. Then we develop that and move it into a 3v3. And then we just play some fun games. And that was it. Never unopposed work, never anything else. Always the key bit. And if I come back to the coaching principles that I talked about earlier is, right, what's the situation? Who are you facing? What's the challenge you're facing? Right? What do we? What might you need to do to kind of overcome that challenge? What are some of the things that that person might find as a weakness in this situation, as an example? Just to really. So just... you're saying obviously that it needs to be context specific, meaning like there needs Every to time. be something that is yeah. So I again I understand, and I'm not <laughs> going to say but I'll say and I I feel, and and this is just based on my my background and, and again that the book that i mentioned really helped to frame this for me is that again i know you're mentioning it you know uh, the, the the context is specific but maybe receiving the ball um in any context right if if you're just playing that 10 yards but i do believe that different you know over different yards from different angles is going to now from a muscle memory standpoint like the skill acquisition is going to be better if you do that over let's say uh, a certain number of hours again we are going from 10 miles an hour to eventually get to 30 miles per hour but i feel as i'm if saying we could start at 30 you know? i'm saying we could start maybe at... maybe maybe but I, right. I feel as if that's what i'm saying so i feel as if, if you're starting at 30 miles an hour again for certain players i feel as if they're going to be able to as you said uh certain context but i've got a solution but, for that oh, too yeah. <laughs> what's that a solution for that the solution's simple you have you create a safe zone. So as an example, if we're doing a 1v1 practice, right? I might say to you, right, um, let's just say there's a is is a you've got an end line, I've got an end line. And let's just say there's 20 yards. Yeah, 20, 20 by 10 or whatever, right? 10, 10 width, 20, 20 foot. I might say to you, right, here, here's here's how it's gonna work. Um, we've got a safe zone. So safe zones meaning the whole area is free to go in. But actually, Eric, you can only tackle me in these three boxes but the boxes are set up in a way where regardless of what route i take i have to pass them at some point right so now we're looking at the design of the practice so i'll get opportunities where i can come away from you and still have the opportunity to dribble and unopposed but actually i still at some point have to have to counter you and now all of a sudden it's actually okay it's still opposed but it's not fully opposed and it's definitely not unopposed Love that, love that. No, no, I like, and yeah, you have, you've, you've, you've found that solution. That's, that's great because I feel, yeah, no, exactly. But that's, that's what I'm talking about is, you know, and again, I've been trying to, and I, and I don't do as much on the individual side anymore, right? But more the constraint side with regards to, um, within small sided games, right? To bring out certain topics, um, but as you're saying, right, um, thinking outside the box to 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 aid the player, right? So you know, give give 
uh, players certain affordances that they can use that will help them within the process of obviously achieving a task, mm. right? That is not going to be well, non-game well, specific, right? It's not. Again, it allows us to some extent, in my opinion, to move at 30 miles an hour, although it being a very bumpy ride to begin with. Because the quicker you deal with the bumps, the quicker you get to the smoother part. 100%. Whereas if I start you off smooth and then throw you into some bumps, I'm going to have to get you back to smooth eventually anyway. So why don't I just start you off with bumps and skip the whole first phase out? And that's full circle. That's full circle right there, right? Yes, it's, it's full circle because we started this conversation saying that that adversity is, it needs to be inherent, right? For 100%. players to be able to, yeah, for them to be able to achieve what they want to achieve in the long term, right? Which is to improve and get to the, you know, achieve their fullest potential to become the best player that they want to be is, as you said, uh, so great you've persuaded me fantastic the next step is we, we honestly um because this is what i've been thinking as well is content for coaches that will give them ideas and understanding on exactly what you said within team and team and, and um individual practices mm. is helping them think about ways to within a non you know within a within an opposed environment right whether that be 1v1 to 11v11, how can we aid players that perhaps, you know, players from the like the highest level player to players who are just starting to play the game? How can we still create that type of environment, right? Where adversity is inherent within the environment? 100%. Development is accelerated. And I think another thing that just kind of comes on top of that, just to kind of support it further, is the coach's ability to hold the players accountable. Right in again, a, a consideration always throughout there for coaches to think about is if we look at praise as an example, when do your when does your praise go from something being great to it just being good? At one point, you weren't able to do X, so now you're able to do it great. But how many times before Eric does X? Does it no longer become great because it's just what we expect? So that when players are now making mistakes, it's, oh, well, Eric, that weren't good enough. Which is to my next point, another another additional area is that I feel, you know, in the, in the in coaching school, right, within the licenses is that psychosocial aspect, right? Mm. You mentioned earlier about the use of guided questions, right? there's an art to asking the right guided question, right? Because if we go too broad, then there is no context given, right? And we could come up with just catchphrase buzzwords, mm. of space, time, you know, mm. and all of this versus if, you know, it comes to, if it comes a close question, right? But, but, but you see, but I think again, we'll go full circle, right? Because those questions could only be formulated. In fact, let me rephrase that. Those questions are, are easier to formulate if you know you have an answer to the problem. But I think we have to be very careful that we don't let our, our, our answer bias the way in which you articulate the question to lead them to that rather than you knowing you have an answer that could work and understanding the rationale behind it and just asking that question from a perspective perception of 
what are the variables that we consider? So a phrase that I, you know, a phrase that I, I came up with recently was, when we were observing the game, are we observing through our eyes or their experiences? Our eyes, hundred percent, right? But like, but it should usually, be their experiences, a normal coach right? should be their experiences, hundred percent. And that's the tough part is every player is different, right? So it's not just one way that we can coach, right? So we need to have a certain cap on, which is just like almost a chameleon, right? Of mm. look, I need control of this session, but now whenever I'm giving player A feedback or information, right? It needs to be done in this way based on his preferences or her preferences. And the fact that they're this level or that level and they've been able to do, do you know what I mean? So mm, it, like, yeah. it, it, it's very, uh, I'm interested to see a, again, don't want to call it a model because it's not, it's more, you know, a, you know, methodology of kind of how you're going to approach coaching right mm. um but coaches need these tools you know what i mean they need to first of all i think first step is awareness with everything else right is awareness that these aspects exist first of all and then it's the question mark of okay you know can i develop an action plan you're not going to get better at everything straight away right but mm -hmm. as you're saying right it, you know you need I, a again it goes back to what you said earlier right the more the more the more you begin to know the more you realize what you didn't know so what i thought was okay back then i realized actually it's not that great now um so yeah i think it is definitely about self-awareness i think from a coach from a coaching standpoint as well as a, a player development standpoint so but nah it's good man eric I'm conscious of time as well man i know that we've been on this yes, program, yes. We'll probably go down real right a few more rabbit holes before we get get over and done with but um sure. i just want to say a massive thank you for your time today i really appreciate it man Appreciate it too, man. Yes, this has been great, man. I've really enjoyed it. I've been a, a fan from far, man. I've obviously listened to the podcast a lot. Um, you're obviously doing great things, man. Um, always poking holes and, and going a little bit deeper, man, which needs to be done, man. It needs to be done, right? If we're going to be elite at anything and we're going to, um, you know, take the game in the right direction, you know, uh, it, need, it needs to go down those rabbit holes. So um, love it, man. Love, love your stuff. Keep doing what you're doing, man. 100%. I really appreciate it, Eric, man. Let's touch, touch base soon as well. Wicked. Thanks, man. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.